Welcome back to Confessions of Old, a segment of the Men of Old podcast. My name is Evan, and today we are continuing our journey through the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession. We will be going through this confession slowly, devotionally, and prayerfully, in order that the saints may be strengthened and encouraged. Last week we finished off chapter 2 of the confession, which was entitled, Of God and the Holy Trinity. And this week we are continuing and starting chapter 3. Uh, so I guess we're moving on and starting chapter 3. Uh, this chapter is entitled, Of God's Decree. Sorry, of yeah, Of God's Decree. And today we're just going to focus on paragraph 1. It's not long. But it's deep, so we're going to go through this, I'm going to read it, and then we'll unpack it. Chapter 3, paragraph 1 of the Confession says this, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass, yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things, and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. Humility. This is something that is crucial when scripture teaches things that appear to teach and include tension. Yet, we must not try to over-rationalize these things. Such is the great error of many in our day. They believe in either the total sovereignty of God or, they say, or in the total liberty of man. Yet the answer to this or to these is not one or the other, it is both. How? I cannot say. Yet scripture teaches both. Sam Waldron says this in his exposition of the 1689. There are two rationalistic extremes which will kill biblical Calvinism wherever they arise. Firstly, there is the minimizing or denial of the reality of human freedom in the interests of preserving the sovereignty of God. This will lead to a rigid hyper-Calvinism and, so to speak, freeze the water of life. Secondly, there is the minimizing of God's sovereignty to preserve human freedom. This will lead to Arminianism and to the evaporation of the water of life. End quote. Even in light of this, both of these things must be clearly defined and articulated, both the sovereignty of God and the freedom of man. And they must be articulated in proportion to the amount of truth revealed in Scripture. Right? We believe in sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our highest authority. And if Scripture teaches something, we believe it. Robert Trail said this, God's decrees are, so, are sort of like the mount that must not be touched. You must first worship it at a distance, and then make a reverent and fearful approach. This is not only holy ground, but it is unsearchable by us. Let's begin to unpack the paragraph. 
Point one is this. God has decreed all things to come to pass. Throughout church history, the doctrine of the decrees of God have been instrumental in the reformed understanding of Scripture. Yet, in the modern age, the majority of Christians today probably have never even heard of the decrees of God. They might have heard of predestination and scoffed at it, saying something like, well, that's not loving of God. And they do so without properly examining the scriptures. This would be a sinful emotional response. Yet, it's not the only response. It is a completely different thing when people have exegetical reasons against the decrees of God. Nonetheless, the Confession teaches this because the Scriptures teach this. The Baptist Catechism defines the decrees of God by the following. Question 10. What are the decrees of God? Answer. The decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His own will, whereby for His own glory He hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. An old Puritan, Christopher Ness, says that this divine decree of predestination has various properties. It is eternal, unchangeable, absolute, free, discriminating, and extensive. Well, one of you might be thinking, and you might ask, well, where do you find this in Scripture? Well, the Confession quotes at four passages, and uh, that's not exhaustive. But they quote four passages uh, in, to prove the scriptural reality of this doctrine. Firstly, they quote Isaiah 46.10, which says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Secondly, they quote Ephesians 1.11, which says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Thirdly, Hebrews 6.17, which says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his own purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. And lastly, Romans 9.15 and Romans 9.18, which says this, For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. God has decreed all things to come to pass. We serve a God who is sovereign, but not only so, he is also wise. We must submit ourselves in humility to these grand truths, yet we must also worship because these are God's truths. This takes us to the inevitable next point, which answers the obvious first question when somebody first hears of the decrees of God. Point number two is this. God is neither the author of sin, nor does he have fellowship with any therein. Almost all of the time, when non-Calvinists argue against the decrees of God, they use this one-liner. And, to be honest, I've used this myself when wrestling through this topic. 
They say, if God has decreed all things to come to pass, then does that not make God the author of sin? Well, as we saw in the confession, that is not the reformed position. The reformed position posits that although the decrees of God are totally true, God at the same time is neither the author of sin, nor does he have any fellowship with any sinners who are in any sinners therein who are out of Christ. This is a crucial point to make. God is holy and cannot accept sin. He must hate sin, yet he decrees sin to accomplish his purposes. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Another important verse is 1 John 1.5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So the answer to the question is no. The decrees of God do not make God the author of sin. How? Because although God is the primary cause of all things, within his decree there are free secondary causes, namely human choices. And this leads us to point three. Point three is that no violence is done to the will of man. Or in other words, the will of man remains free. As we said in the beginning, the reformed position on this subject holds tension between two truths, the sovereignty of God and the true freedom of man. Yet biblical freedom is not the ability to do anything good or evil. It is the ability to freely do what you both want to do and what you are able to do. God is free, yet he is unable to sin. His freedom, if you want to put it this way, is limited to his nature or confined to his nature, as is the case with humans and especially with fallen humans. Our fallen nature is unable to do spiritual good, and our nature does not permit it. This is why we need a new nature in Christ. We will get to a whole chapter in the confession that focuses on the free will of man. Yet for now, we're going to go forward. Within the decrees of God, God uses secondary free causes to accomplish his primary cause. I hope this is making sense to you. We'll see this in scripture though, and we do, sorry, we do see this in scripture. Acts 4, 27 and 28 says this, and it says it plainly. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Another example is John 19.11, where Christ says to Pilate, Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Our infinite God, in his infinite wisdom, uses finite creatures in their free choices according to their natures to accomplish his ultimate plan and decree. Even though God has decreed all things, 
and we can call this God, sorry, even though God has decreed all things, and we can call this God's will of decree, he has also given us something that some theologians call his will of desire, which is his law. Us as creatures are not to live our life based on trying to figure out God's will of decree in the future sense, but we are to live based on what he has revealed to us in his word, in his will of desire. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things, or his will of decree, belongs to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed, or his will of desire, belongs to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God decrees all things, but decrees them, and within that decree, he's decreed his word to be our sure guide in all of life and faith. May we humbly go before the Lord in prayer after going over this large topic, and may this topic and truth cause us to worship him with awe. O Lord our God, and as the old hymn says, Whate'er my God ordains is right, holy his will abideth. I will be still whate'er he doth, and follow where he guideth. May we submit to your sovereign hand and seek to follow where it leads us, Lord. May we submit to your word and live by your law. May we take joy in the fact that you, Lord, actually do have a plan for everyone and everything. And may we take joy in this very plan as it unfolds. May we take comfort in life and in death, knowing that nothing escapes your hand in good and in bad. May we recognize the chief end of your decrees, Lord, which is your glory. And may we make this our chief end as well. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, that we, by your Spirit, can actually glorify and worship our triune God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Men of Old podcast. Please tune in next time for more edifying content from the great cloud of witnesses so that we may continue to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.